Welcome to this episode of Consider It Blacklit. I am Kim Singleton, your host. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, Consider It Blacklit highlights films, television programs, and stage plays featuring African-Americans up front and behind the scenes. We also discuss social issues as it relates to these programs and how they may or may not impact our communities. So thank you for tuning in and we hope you continue to tune in each week. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome an educator, a director, and a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright for his play, Fat Ham, that will be on Broadway this year, James Imes. Welcome, James. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> I am so, so, so super excited to have you here. So um, why don't you give our audience just a brief synopsis of what Fat Ham is all about? Fat Ham is about a character named Juicy, who uh, is living uh, a, a sort of typical, I would say, millennial life. He's living with his parents. Um, he's not sure what direction he wants to go in. And he's just trying to get his degree in human resources. And uh, he's visited by the ghost of his father, who tells him that uh, he was killed by his uncle, which of course would lead you to think of another famous play by William Shakespeare called Hamlet. So essentially, Fat Ham is a, a riff on Hamlet set in the American South uh, at the barbecue of uh, a Black family. Um, and I tried to contain all of the elements of, of Hamlet into that one backyard scene. And so, you know, we see uh, Juicy grapple with how he feels about who he is as a Black queer man living in the South. Um, and it starts to become a play less about, you know, revenge and more a play about what kind of life you want to lead. Do you want to lead a life that is uh, guided by violence and trauma and anger? Or do you want to live a life of joy and resilience? And that's the choice that Juicy has to make in the course of the play. And so that's essentially what the play is about. Oh, cool. Amazing. So you won a Pulitzer Prize for it. Tell our audience, how young were you when you knew you wanted to write or be in the theater? Oh, gosh. I started writing plays when I was about 15, um, mostly because it was a. It just made sense to me, like writing down my thoughts, writing, you know, making sense of stories that I'd heard in a dramatic form. It was, in a lot of ways, it was a kind of therapeutic thing that I was doing as a as an adolescent, because I, I think it was a little bit of an angry adolescent, and it helped me sort of metabolize how I was feeling. But I never thought of it as something that I could do for a living really until I was in college and um, worked with some amazing acting teachers there um, and ultimately shifted my my focus from, I, I started college as a, a vocal performance major. I wanted to be a, a choral music teacher. And, um, and then I started doing plays and I just shifted my focus and it just made sense. Like the dramatic form made sense. It felt good. It, I felt like I could talk to people in a way through it. And so, I, I didn't think of it as something I could do for a living until I was in my 20s. So the play Fat Ham, I, you know, I love that title. And the ham part, I, I'm i assuming you got that from the Hamlet piece. But what made you choose that title, Fat Ham? Because you instantly look at it and say, okay, what is this about? <laughs> well, you know, the ham fat is delicious. I don't know if you like ham or not. <laughs> 
it's the good it's the good ham if the ham's got a good layer of fat on it it's 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 really good um and so that's it you know if you it brings to mind um something that's comforting something that's tasty it makes the mouth water um and so i wanted to sort of create that in people's imagination when they think about the play uh it has ham in it so that's the riff on hamlet and you know it was also important to me that you know when you think of hamlet and in the grand tradition of actors who played hamlet it's always sort of effete and slim and svelte and i was like what if he's not any of those things what if he's you know i'm a person who has you know most of my life grappled with my weight and my body um what if he looked like me or felt like me or went through the things that i've gone through in, in relationship to my body so um i wanted to make that a thing that was important that you don't go cast some like tiny thing to play this part that you, you actually cast someone who's heavy because I think it matters, it makes a big difference. And to see that character go through this play and be strong and weak and vulnerable and adored and wanted and you know all of that stuff felt really good to watch um, and to write. So that's, all of those things are sort of collapsed into that very short, I also like, you know, either a really long play title or a very short play title. If you know the plays that I've written, they're either very short play titles or very long. I love it. I love it. I love it. So um, like you mentioned, it's kind of based on Shakespeare's Hamlet. Um, what aspects of the original Hamlet inspired you to write Fat Ham? Like, why did you want to adapt that particular story? When I was in college, I did a production, like a, um, a student production of, of Hamlet. And I remember thinking as we were working on it, this play is funnier than we're... <laughs> <laughs> then where there were things that the characters would say to each other I'm like oh that's so shady or oh my god that's that makes me I think that's hilarious um and so I I was like um what if I took you know the parts of the play the the bones essentially the things that I talked about in the description you know the kid new dad mom is married the uncle ghost the father basically the same collection of people around um and then just sort of let them go at it the same things you know like the the play within the play in hamlet becomes charades um the the banquet that is in the second scene of the play sort of becomes the setting of the entire play i just i took the parts of hamlet that i really like and there's some text from hamlet that i've appropriated into this play that I've used not in the way that it is used in the script. So for example, there's a scene where Juicy is talking about a conversation he just had with Larry, who is the Laertes character in this play. And he uses the, the what a piece of work is man speech, which is not about really about romantic love at all, but in the context of where I placed it, it takes on this new meaning. And so I also wanted to play with the Shakespeare text in that way too, you know, Ophelia's mad scene where she's singing and she's handing flowers out, that's now in the mouth of the Hamlet character because the Ophelia character in my play wouldn't do that. She wouldn't go through that. So I had to find a way to, I knew I wanted to use some of that language and that feeling and I had to find someone to put it in and it just made really a lot of sense to me to put them in the mouth of our protagonist. So I picked and choose, but um, most of the general sort of plot is is intact well i think it's brilliant <laughs> thank you 
Um, so the play is set in North Carolina. Why that location? Well, I'm from North Carolina. I'm from um, Bessemer. I grew up in Bessemer City, North Carolina. My grandmother and my older sister still live there. Uh, my mother has and father have since left Bessemer City and they live in Kings Mountain. But all of my family, with the exception of myself and my, my aunt Terry, who lives in Atlanta, they all sort of live within like 30 minutes of each other. So North Carolina is when I go home, I'm going home to like a commune of my entire family that I can sort of all see in a day. Um, and it's, a you know, of the Southern states and I've been in many Southern states, it's it's distinct. You know, I, will, I used to love the show Andy Griffith because the Andy Griffith show, because my grandmother loved that show. And uh, it's, a, when I think of North Carolina, it feels a lot like that. Now, you know, the politics are, all over the place. But when I'm home, it feels like a place I can be myself, but not without <laughs> some pushback. So it, there's a tension there that I thought would be interesting to set the play there versus, you know, Georgia, where I lived and when I was in college, I could have said it in Atlanta, but I feel like it would be just a very different place. So North Carolina just felt like the right place. So I must ask you, um, how did it feel or uh, how did you feel when you found out that you won the Pulitzer Prize? Tell us about that whole situation and how it happened and how you received the information. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, um, the December of, I guess, 20, 2021, oh gosh, what year would that have been? So I got it in 2021. So it was December of 2020. Um, we had done a film production of it in, in Philly with the Wilma Theater. And our, the managing director was like, do you want to apply to the Pulitzer this year? And I was like, you don't apply to the Pulitzer. They're just like, pick me. And they were like, no, you have to like, <laughs> you have to send them the play and say, yes, consider this. And I was like, I had no idea that that's how that worked. So um, I said, sure, and submitted it. And I was like, eh, you know, at the very least, some people I don't know will read the play and it'll be nice. And you don't know anything until the day that they announce who is a finalist and who won. Wow. So I found out when the world found out. And um, I was on campus. I teach at Villanova. And it was uh, our department does a, a departmental graduation showcase for our students, our graduate students. And we were preparing for that. I had faculty meeting that morning. It was just the day. And I was sitting in my office. I knew that today was the day that they were going to announce, but I was actually working. Like I was actually like, there is a list of things I need to get through today. And I'm in my office and my phone just starts to like buzz. And it's the managing director at the woman. She's like, did you, have you seen the internet? And I was like, no. And as she's calling me, my phone is buzzing with text messages. My agents are calling me and I'm like, what? She was like, you won, you should call me later, call your mom right now. And I hung up the phone and I called my mom. And I was like, mama, I, I just wanna, I called her mama. I do call her mama, it's a mama. <laughs> <laughs> mama, I won a Pulitzer and she was like, oh, that's nice. I was like, okay, great, I gotta go. <laughs> I don't think she, it hadn't read, like I don't think she registered what it was and then she called me later and she was like, wait, what did she say? <laughs> Was she asleep when you called her? No, she wasn't asleep. I just, my my mom um, at the time was like um, a caregiver for a young child. Um, my my late sister's 
uh, godchild. So um, she was there. She was like dealing with this little girl who's like playing and needing things from her. And I think she just, it didn't land. And she called me early, later and was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. This is incredible. I'm so proud of you. But it was just a weird day. And then the students were very happy. It was also kind of wonderful to be there surrounded by my colleagues and the students that I teach. And they were also very happy. It was it was really a lovely day. And I came home and we had champagne and some friends came over. It was nice. Great, great. So um, I see that you are a Morehouse man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you went to Morehouse before going to Temple to get your MFA. Tell our audience how your experience at an HBCU has influenced your career. I loved my time at Morehouse. Um, Morehouse, and, and because, you know, Morehouse offers a degree in drama, but they don't offer the classes. You take the classes at Spelman College, and I took a few at Clark Atlanta. And so I also had the experience of like classes at Spelman, classes at Clark. I took all of my um, general education and several other classes at Morehouse. Um, and so I had a real interesting experience of experience in all three of those schools. And one thing that I know is that I wouldn't move through the world the way I do had I not gone to Morehouse. Um, I wouldn't have the worldview I would not, um, you know, always say that blackness is uh, is central in everything I write. You know, um, people always uh, ask me about the white characters that I write, and I'm like, I always white whiteness as if it's strange, not as if it's the norm or the, or central. Um, and I think that's because when you go to a historically black college, blackness is central. You, who, you know, who we are, our hair. I never had to worry about a barber shop. Like, what do I do about getting my hair cut? I didn't think that wasn't a thing I considered. And when I moved to Philly, I did pause and go like, oh, wait, wait, what am And I was like, oh, I'm moving to Philly, I'm fine. You know, if I'd have been moving to like Iowa or something like that, I would have been concerned. But I knew that I was moving to a city that was also predominantly Black. So my experience has been really sort of like staying and I grew up in a black community in North Carolina I went to historically black college and then I moved to a black city I've like been successful and like I want to be around black people <laughs> I don't want to move somewhere where there aren't I don't have access to black people that I can be close to um I also think that they historically black colleges culturally there's nothing like it the homecoming experience, the band, the 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 sitting in the cafeteria, the dorm life, the you know I took a philosophy class where we we did everything from Socrates to bell hooks, and like those things were in conversation with each other, and it's that was not like the special class that you take at a you know h at a at a predominantly white institution so that you can get that experience. This was like, you take philosophy and this is what you get when you take philosophy is that the world is not just this one thing that, you know, outside of this campus, you might think it is. Um, and so I really loved that. I think it had a big impact on me. I think my, my aesthetic and what I think is funny or what I think is beautiful was really 
shaped there because I, I became an artist there. I, I learned that I wanted to be an artist while I was at an HBCU. And so my acting teachers were Black. My first playwriting teacher was Black. My first directing teacher, Carol Mitchell Leon, Rest Her Soul, was Black. And that does something, you know? Mm. It prepares you for the world in a really, really different way. Well, I think that was beautifully said. I went to Howard University at HBCU, right. and I'm always talking to young people about the benefits of going and and what the experiences you can get from that. And I just love how you described it. So thank you for sharing that. So Fat Ham was based on Hamlet. Is there any other Shakespeare story that you would like to adapt or have you thought about adapting? Um, I am working on an Othello adaptation. I've also wanted to to do something with Henry IV, um, wanted, uh, Henry IV part one and two, but that I haven't started yet. I'm, I'm just sort of like, that's a play that I, I like those plays a lot. So I'm curious about what I could do with that. And Cleopatra, uh, Antony and Cleopatra. I, um, I said her name first because she's the character that I wanna um, spend some time with. She's fascinating. Um, and I think there's a story there that I could, I, I mean, there's obviously a story there, but um, I think I have something I wanna say um, about them as characters. So those are the three that I'm, at some point I'd like to to work on it. And then Othello is in the works. It's, it's uh, I will say this, it's, a, it's about um, technology and how technology is sort of like um, taking on the biases that we have as humans. Um, and it's it's sort of an exploration of artificial intelligence and uh, race. No pressure, but hurry up and finish them because I can't wait to see them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, you've done many plays, but I want you to talk about the play you did, Kill, Move, Paradise. It won the Kessel Ring Prize. Tell us what that was about and what was your inspiration for it? Uh, Kill, Move, Paradise uh, follows for uh, people in what I can only describe as like a, a limbo afterlife, after they've uh, been killed either by um, law enforcement or vigilante uh, murder. And um, as you know, we're all aware, Black people have pretty much from the beginning of our time in this country suffered from those two very particular brands of violence. And so I wanted to write a play to talk about it. And I started writing it not long after Tamir Rice um, was killed by police in Cleveland. And there was something about that that was just so shocking to me. And not like in the sense of like, oh, I didn't know these kinds of things happened in America. It just sort of hit me at a moment. My nephews were still kind of young at that time. It sort of hit me as feeling, um, this is probably darker than, I, I don't feel this way so much now, but like imminent, like for myself and the people that I love. Mm -hmm. Like there was something about it that just felt so real, so tangible. And so I wanted to um, write a play that looked at these characters who are all fi fictional. I, I'm sort of, I've composited some things and some stories from a lot of different people through time, um, but the characters are all fictional. And what they grapple with, what happened to them, what like how do they grapple with that 
in the afterlife, what they want people to know about them now that they're gone, and what they do in this afterlife as ancestors to try to take care of each other. Because I think that even after we're gone, we we still have this responsibility to to the people that we we leave behind and the people that we're with on the other side. And I think you know that more and more, um, especially after this great season of loss we've all been through, um, my relationship to thinking about my ancestors and my responsibility to them, and on some level their responsibility to me as a person still among the living has become stronger. And so at the time, I didn't realize I was writing a piece that was about essentially ancestor veneration, but I think that's really what the play is is about, are these people who we lose way too soon um, and hopefully getting people to recognize that it's not, um, these aren't flukes. This isn't like by accident or coincidence. This is like something that is systemic and is happening daily in some instances, some stretches of the year. Um, and it is a play that I always say, I was like, I hope one day people don't do it anymore. That it's a play that people feel like, oh, we don't need to do that anymore. It's, that's not a problem. It is my most produced play Wow! to date. It is the play of mine that has been produced more than any other play that I wrote. And it's because it's still a thing that people and communities are grappling with. You have such a great body of work, and I'm sure you are an inspiration to so many people, especially your students. But who inspires you? Who or what inspires you? Um, I'm, I'm inspired by history. Um, all of history. I, you know, when I, I think history is a roadmap, if we let it be a roadmap. Um, oftentimes, I think people think it's like a fairy tale, a thing that happened a long time ago, and we don't have to think or worry about it anymore. But if, if we are smart, we use it as a roadmap. Um, my family, my family is very funny. Um, and the older I get, the more I'm like, <laughs> y'all are some funny cats. Like, they just are naturally, you know, hilarious people. Um, the way that we speak, our sort of, like, way of being with each other. So I'm, I, I utilize that. And, I, you know, I'm not afraid to sort of put our cadence in characters' mouths. So um, very much inspired by, by my family. Um, yeah, I'm, in, I'm inspired by theater artists um, who I feel like are, are pushing the form. Um, both people like, you know, Lynn Nottage and Susan Laurie Parks and Tarav and McCraney, people who, when I read Alicia Harris, when I read their plays, I'm like, whoa, I love what you're doing here. I love the, the choices you're making, the advancement of the form of playwriting that you're doing. Um, I've been watching, lately I've been like watching a lot of films. I made this like resolution this year that I was going to watch. Um, I can't remember how, whatever number of, of films I was going to watch this year, but I'm doing pretty good. Um, but just what's happening in film and TV, I think, um, you know, what I can bring of that world into what I'm doing as a playwright. Uh, I grew up in the church. I always say that the church is my first theater that I worked in because it's church not that theater. it's, not, you know what I'm saying? It's not that it's not real, mm -hmm. right? It's true. That this is truth. But it, it is not afraid of theatricality. It is not afraid of scale. It is not afraid of possession. 
giving in to something that's bigger than you are. So I, I um, find myself pulling from um, those rhythms and those behaviors a lot when I'm when I'm writing and when I'm directing. Um, increasingly, as I get older, I'm I'm inspired by nature, which is not something that I would have said in my twenties that I cared about at all. <laughs> but um, you know the the planet that we live on and my responsibility to it and trying to make it a better place. Um, I, I am looking at the world with different eyes. I am appreciating when it rains. I am trying to be outside and be in nature and know what it feels like to be, you know, bitten by a bug or like, I feel like that sensory part of my life I cut off after childhood and I'm trying to regain it a little bit. Cause I grew up one of those kids that was absolutely feral that would just jump in a Creek. Like I was, that kid when I was young growing up in North Carolina and I want to get a little bit of that back because I think a lot of that is what led me to where I am so I want to get some more of that back too so all of those are things that you know inspire me a lot oh amazing amazing now I have a, a bunch of other questions but we're running out of time but I did want you to talk about Fat Ham when is it opening on Broadway and where because I want my audience to be on the lookout for that Yes, uh, Fat Ham goes into previews uh, March 21st. You can buy tickets right now at fathambroadway.com. And we're at the American Airlines Theater, which is at 42nd Street and 7th Avenue. So right across the street from Madame Tussauds and right beside a Target. And I just love that. I <laughs> love that that's literally the corner of like art and karma commerce and like carnival it's like <laughs> perfect location for this play that is just an absolute party so i hope your audience does come oh uh, yes yeah, so well i will definitely be there so yeah. everyone fat ham march 21st you said at the american yes. airlines theater make sure you check it out to see the amazing playwright james imes work um, and everyone, thank you for tuning in. James, thank you for joining us and sharing so much information with us. Absolutely. And until next, yes, until next week, everyone, consider yourself Blacklit. Thank you. <laughs>